I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi and welcome to The Backstory with Claire and Susie. In each episode, we'll be hearing about an experience that has happened to someone that shaped who they are. 30 minutes that remind us that everyone's dealing with something. So we're a documentary podcast, a docupod. Except you made that word up. So Claire, it's been quite a quick turnaround this week, hasn't it? We've had uh, school holidays in full flow. Yes, you can literally hear my kids in the background at the start (laughs) of this cycling past the window, which we just had to have open because it was boiling hot on Saturday. Um, when I recorded this programme. Okay, so tell us more about this one. Yeah, this is Tim McKenna's account of what it's like to live with bipolar disorder. I think it's an amazing story of being male and mentally ill and initially not having much help or support through not knowing what was wrong and hiding how he was feeling. It does include some details of feeling depressed and a suicide attempt, so if that's a trigger for you, then just be aware of that. But it is a story of survival and realisation and learning about yourself and about cycling and straitjackets and how sometimes the worst sounding things are the biggest help. So here it is. So, yes, we we ask you to cast your mind back um, over the peaks and troughs of your life and tell us about something that was a life-changing moment or a significant time for you. Uh, yes, I was, I've been thinking about this this week. Um, probably the biggest event that I think has had the greatest impact and sort of changed my life for the better, which, which may sound strange, was um, getting arrested in 2012. For wow. I was in the middle of a psychotic breakdown and um, I was running a pub in Leicester at the time. Uh, very unhappy, didn't really know what the problem was with my mental health um so i was sort of self-medicating a lot with alcohol uh feeling worse and worse and then one one afternoon it was i think it was about two o'clock in the afternoon i was behind the bar there were about 20 people in the pub um and i just thought i've got to get away from here i've got to i've got to go so i got in my car just walked out of the pub got in my car just drove away um and i'd still being the conscientious manager it was monday it was the banking day so i in my, I'd, I'd taken all the money wrapped up with the bank book and everything with the intention of paying it into the bank right uh drove away had no idea where i was going I had some vague idea that i was going to go to the lake district for some reason even though i didn't know anyone there or had never really been there um so i sort of drove on the monday ended up somewhere near coventry uh Slept in the car, got up Tuesday morning. I was going up the M6 past Birmingham. And I sort of just, at the corner of my eye, I, something caught my attention. And it was 
like in a little lay-by, there were three police Range Rovers just sat there and I just instantly, I just knew that that was for me and they, they kind of pulled out onto the M6 uh, and did the sort of T-pack thing where they come one behind you, one aside, in front of you and one by the side of you and sort of push you over to the, onto the hard shoulder and uh, this policeman got out and came up to the car window and he said, you're not really in any trouble but obviously everybody's quite worried about you because you of what happened you disappeared from from your place of work wow. in the afternoon and tell anybody um so i got taken to birmingham police station uh got processed got charged um transferred back to leicester that that sort of morning then spent sort of 18 hours in the cell in leicester while they worked out what to do and everything and uh and eventually got sort of released on bail or as it as it is so that was the that was the start of it really and I guess, so were you sort of slightly charged for the fact that you had the money with you or was that nothing to do with it? Yeah, I was, I was, initially I was charged with, with theft because I had the money with me. Um, although, I mean, all the, all the charges were, were dropped and everything, that didn't really go anywhere. But because the police were involved, the main thing that happened to me was that I got access to, because you have to have a psychiatric evaluation. Right. For, for if you've been charged, and they're going to, they intend to take you to court. So I got access to a really good psychiatrist and that's when I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and that's when I started to get the treatment. I got placed with a really in a really good uh, unit in Leicester. Got some really fantastic help, and that's sort of where my life sort of started to make a bit more sense. Wow! And so you'd lived with this for years without realizing. Yeah, I'd I'd always sensed that something wasn't quite right. I always I never really felt that I belonged. I always felt that I was sort of looking in from the outside a little bit. I sort of estranged myself from my family and friends because I didn't want anyone to see. I moved to London, ended up running pubs in London. I didn't speak to my family for for ages, you know, for years. Um, so you were just trying to keep away from them so that they didn't realise what was wrong with you? Kind yeah, of thing. absolutely, yeah. I, I, just, I felt, yeah, like I say, I felt ashamed of, of how my life was. I couldn't comprehend what was going on. I had, it was quite chaotic. I, you know, I would lose jobs. I had a string of relationships and... Like I read that you had like tried to take your own life like previously sort of thing. Was that like before two thousand six? No, that was that that came later. That was uh, so uh, so what? Uh, Sorry. Yeah, so I kind of lived like that with, with ignorance of the mental health till t- two thousand six, and then um, uh, my sister took her own life in two thousand and six. So um, our mum, my mum, was convinced that she had bipolar disorder and my mum had got loads of leaflets and stuff to, to show her, but my sister wasn't at the stage where she w- was willing to accept help or thought there was a problem. So she right. was in, in denial, basically, I think. Um, and that was really my first real sort of encounter with anything regarding mental illness. And obviously it was horrific and, you know, incredibly shocking. I can remember the phone call, you know, like it was yesterday. Um, where were you at that point? Where were you living? I was living back in Leicester at that point. I was, um, I'd given up the, I'd stopped running pubs and I'd got into construction, which is what I do now. Um, yeah, I was working in the centre of Leicester uh, and the phone rang. It was mum's partner and they, my mum uh, and a partner lived abroad. They lived in, uh, in the Netherlands and I hadn't spoke to him for a year and he, he said, I've got some bad news. And immediately I thought it was going to be my mum, obviously, right. because mum's 
quite, you thank me for saying this, quite elderly. Sorry, <laughs> mum. But uh, yeah, and it was, uh, it's Vic, your sister, she's, uh, she's, she's sad she's taken, she's taken her own life, so. And how recently had you seen her? I probably hadn't seen her for three years. So I had no idea what was going on in her life. And, you know, it's one of the hardest things is that to know that she was kind of fighting the same battles as I was. And if I had been there, then maybe we could have helped each other. Oh, yeah. But my sister had never seen a doctor or anything. So it wasn't, it was completely undiagnosed, but um, it does run in families. So Mm. um, uh, my mum's uncle had it. And he took his own life as well. So it's, I think you have, you're predisposed towards it, but it still needs a trigger to, it doesn't necessarily manifest itself in everybody. So so I started, at this point, I started my own construction company and we were really busy. And I did what I'd always done to, to deal with it, which was just work harder and harder, throw myself into my work. Yeah, we had, we, a company got behind on payments and I, I was struggling to pay the guys and, uh, all the stress of it, and I just kind of cut myself off. I lived in a like a a barn in the middle of nowhere, so it's quite easy for me not to see anybody. Um, and yeah, I stopped opening opening mail. I didn't open a single letter for nine months. Just chucked everything in the bin, which is, I'm still trying to sort out now. Oh God! Yeah, can you imagine with the tax man. Oh, um, so just to be clear, that the your your sister um, passed away in 2006, and was the when was the arrest scenario that was in 2012 2012 okay so, so we've got this six years yeah. like that so at the we're... beginning of 2000 things sort of spiraled out of control um it got progressively worse um i stopped leaving the house in the day i would walk i'd go to the local shop in the village across walk across the fields at night go to the local co-op um twice a week to buy what i needed i didn't go out in the day i was sort of had the curtains closed I was sort of hiding in the house didn't speak to anybody oh my gosh wow yeah. so you became a complete hermit sort of thing yeah. like for how long was that for that was for about three or four months wow and then a lot of people because I worked away a lot people just assumed that I was away with work so it was quite I could get away with it so it was a massive depressive period but you didn't really realize sort of thing or you didn't name it as it were you just knew no, you felt I awful just, I did, I did, I would, it was out of control I didn't know how to deal with it I didn't know how to ask for help um, and what year would that be in? That was towards the end of 2010. And then in January 2011, was I, I tried to take my own life. I tried to drown myself in a lake, um, which, yeah, which was uh, so obviously the low point. And, yeah, horrendous. Uh, so were you found or? Well, no, I've... I, 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 <laughs> I had a lake just down the road from my house so I thought I'll just go and jump in the lake but the lake was only about six foot deep so I broke the ice in the lake and I jumped into the lake and I lay in the freezing water for about six hours waiting to lose consciousness and nothing happened and I was just kind of got out and crawled home sort of in a hypothermic state oh my god I know I don't know why I'm laughing but it's, it's probably the world's worst suicide attempt but, uh, <laughs> and I can laugh about it now obviously oh, it wasn't very, it funny, wasn't at the very time. funny at the time my god horrendous um, um, okay so it's 2012 and you've just kind of come out of the police station got the some help that you needed and then 
and so that's when you really realised that you also had bipolar, as it were, or you had yeah, bipolar. Yeah, well, that's um, so I got access to a. They sent this psychiatrist down from Sheffield, who the, a lot of the police work with, a real one of the top guys, and uh, wow. I spent four hours with him, went through everything, literally like forensically, from my childhood and everything, asking everything, and um, yeah, I got a, like a five-page report, and the, the, the diagnosis was bipolar disorder. So then I got referred to the Cedars unit in Leicester um, to a brilliant psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Bengali. I started seeing him. I saw him once a month initially. And another sort of life-changing thing that happened was I was sat in his room once and he was talking to me about um, the effects of exercise on mental well-being. And I cycled a lot as a, as a teenager. Um, when I was 17, I cycled across America. So, And I thought at the time, I thought that was going to be the first of many such adventures but as kind of things spiraled out of control I did, my bike got stolen in London and I didn't cycle again for sort of 15 years and then so Dr Bengali was talking to me about the ex, about exercise and mental well-being and I, I said well I used to ride a bike so I borrowed a bike off a friend started cycling the country lanes around where I was living and that kind of led to falling in love with cycling again just being out there in the countryside you know, you're not worrying, dwelling on the past. You're not worrying about the future. Everything's in the in the present. It's you know, looking at the scenery, thinking about coffee and cake at the next cafe or whatever. And you know, I, I call cycling mindfulness on wheels because for me, it is that it clears my head and everything. And I, that was one of the things that I found. It's it's probably the main cornerstone of my stability. Wow. Is so from there that led on to um, a cycle London to Paris for mind in I think 2014 and then from that I got the idea to cycle around the coast of Britain which I did in 2016 which took me three months which was probably the best thing I've ever done absolutely loved every minute of it so oh, amazing when I'd been arrested and I'd been diagnosed with bipolar and I hadn't been out for a while and the first time I went out to a local pub to meet a group of friends um one of my friends is a paramedic and he turned up with a rucksack and I said I said Russ what's in the rucksack so I've just I brought a straight jacket just in case uh, in case we need it, <laughs> and it was like, and then I laughed and everyone laughed. I think you have to see the humour in it. I mean that's what blokes do, isn't it? You know, we, yeah. You know, I'd much rather people take the Mickey out of me and take, you know than sort of tiptoe around me and feel afraid to to mention stuff. You know, I'd much rather people just, you know, yeah. That's how, that's how we deal with it, and that's uh, that's how I like it. Do you find that other men share their mental health concerns with you now because they sort of know that you're really open about it? Like, do you get people kind of talking to you about it? Or Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I mean, coming out, with, as it were, was for me was one of the hardest things I've ever done, for telling people. I mean, I, the, the first, I sat down with my friend Matt. He was the first person I told, and he was great. So then I told a few more people, and they were great. And then I sort of went public with it on Facebook and I got such an amazing level of support. It was incredible that, you know, it was overwhelming almost. And I wish I'd done it a, a long time before, but through that, I'm now like the go-to guy for all my friends and uh, work colleagues and acquaintances. So if anyone's got any issues, I'll be, yeah, which is great. I, lo I love that, it's that people feel they can open up to me. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of that. And that, it's good because men are notoriously bad for talking about these things. So anything that can help anybody, 
so you have been very open about your mental health or you know in recent years obviously I now know that's very different from what you used to feel like how how have you managed to be so open now like I think years of shame and not being able to talk to anyone and not understanding it um and feeling weak and feeling you know less of a man and everything and then when you find out when you get the diagnosis and you realize millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. That it's an illness like any other illness. It's, you know, then you, I feel there's no, no shame in talking about it. And I just want to sort of share my story. Also, another thing, um, when I'd just been diagnosed with bipolar, someone, a friend of mine pointed me in the direction of the Time to Change campaign that's run by Mind and Rethink, and that is aimed at ending the stigma around mental health. And they have a website, and on there they have stories from people, uh, blogs from people with their lived experience. And I, um, I read this blog from a guy called Dave who was, I think he was a brickie in Essex or something. And it was... Um, sort of another life-changing moment. It, I, re- I read this this piece that he'd written and it was word for word as if I could have written it. Wow. Um, it mirrored exactly my experiences, what I'd been through. And so from that, the first thing I took from that was that I'm not, not alone because mental illnesses can be incredibly solitary. Right. You think you're the only person going through it. So I realised at that point, I'm not the only one going through this. And at the end, he'd started to recover. And that right. was the first time I thought, I can get through this. Right. I can get through this. Um, but obviously, like with most mental health things, presumably you've had setbacks despite those kind of yeah. those situations. Yeah. Yeah, I had a, a major relapse in 2015. I um, I wasn't getting on with the medication I was on at the time, so um, I stopped taking it, which, yeah, obviously not the best idea. Um, i kind of gone from seeing my psychiatrist monthly to seeing him every three months. I missed a couple of appointments. Um, I was running a pub uh, just outside Leicester at the time. Um, I was having some issues with uh, some family members that weren't very supportive. Um, Yeah, in 2015, I got to the point where I couldn't go on and, yeah, I tried to take my life in the pub. Um, at night I lived upstairs Um, um, my niece took me to hospital uh, and then I got that's when I got admitted to the unit at at Leicester Glenfield Hospital the Bradgate unit Um, 
And that was the first time you'd been to yeah. a hospital with it? Yeah, I mean, it was it was traumatic. The first few days I was there, I didn't really get out of bed. I was crying a lot. But like I say as well, it felt safe, felt secure, your place. It was just a time to take a pause from life. And so I spent a few weeks in there. So a psychiatric hospital, I mean, I think a lot of people would be quite scared of, of going into psychiatric hospital. Like, did you find it a scary place at all? Or you said you stayed, you said it yeah, was Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, there were, there were a lot of people in there that were a lot sicker than I was. Um, it was, it was quite scary. There were people sort of, uh, hearing voices and sort of, uh, you know, shouting at all hours and, um, people that were violent with it as well. I mean, it wasn't a nice place to be, but, it didn't mean the world of good. The staff were absolutely brilliant. I mean, they, you know, I can't say enough about the, uh, the about the staff in there. I think they do an amazing job under incredibly trying circumstances. They don't get a lot of support. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I got to, so it was, it was good. It was a really important time for you. Yeah. yeah. No, well, there were some lighter moments in there. We used to have a film night on a Friday. So you could request a film in the week and then they would show it to the ward on Friday. And I asked for one flow over the cookies. Next. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Which, needless to say, we didn't get. Oh, so I left. I left the unit. Uh, I left the pub, and I've got a friend, Matt, Matt and Rachel, who are from Leicester. They live in Bedford, um, and they invited me down. And I went and stayed with them. I think for about six months. Just uh, we built some decking in Matt's garden, and we built, did some. DIY in the house and I just you know just had a had a, had a break really and got myself uh, got myself sorted out got back on the bike which I'd, I'd neglected you you started the job that you're back into now then or? yeah I'm back doing back doing the construction which is what I was doing before so um but working for somebody else so he the guy that owns the company is a very good friend of mine um and he sort of shields me from anything like that which is good I try now, one of the ways I manage my mental health is, and this is why, another reason why my boss is so great, is that I, I can take two months off, two wow. month block off every year. So 2016, I cycled, I did the coast of Britain. Um, last year, I cycled from London to Istanbul through 15 Euro- European countries, which was just amazing. And then, so this year it's um, Vancouver down to Mexico, down the Pacific coast, so. And will you do that on your own or like be joined by other people or...? I'm I'm going on my own but when you're out on your own I think you're more approachable so people will come and talk to you and you meet other cyclists and you'll do a bit with them and so yeah it's good but I quite and is that part of the appeal as well you quite like being on your own like yeah, yeah I'm very sort of uh I'm quite a solitary person I, I, I yeah I love my own company it's kind of it's one it's one way of justifying spending a couple of months on my own really doing the trip is one of the things I, I secretly quite like about it you know, if I spent two months sat in the house on my own, the questions will be asked. But because I'm doing this, it's people can get away with it. So, and so, like, I'm I'm sensing that it's like a it's an ongoing battle. Like, because sometimes people want to wrap these kind of things up and make it all like, oh yeah, and he's much better now. But like, that's not the case with mental health, is it? Like, um, I'm guessing that like you've you've put in a lot of strategies here, but you have to work at all of them. Or like, tell me about that. Yeah, it's um, yeah, with bipolar, there's no cure. So you just have to manage it and there's no happy ending, I'm afraid. It's, uh, yeah, it's like spinning plates. There's so much stuff going on and you have to be aware of. So um, exercise, uh, diet, 
uh, alcohol intake, sleep is very important, um, routine, um, sort of time off, uh, the support groups and uh, yeah, so many different things going on. Um, and even then it's not guaranteed. It's it's still up and down. I still have, I still have really bad periods, but I know now how to manage it or how to minimalize it so right. that I can, you know, and if I need to go to my boss and say, I need a week off, you know, a few years ago, I would have gone to my boss and said, or phoned him up and said, I've got stomach upset or, you know, I've got flu or something. And right. I would, wouldn't have been honest about it, but now I can go to him and say, look, I'm having a really tough time. Can I, is it all right if I have a couple of days off? And he's like, yeah, just have a couple of days off, just keep me posted. So that's good. Oh, that's amazing, yeah. Wow, Claire, that was a really fascinating insight into Tim's life and his constant struggle with bipolar disorder. But, you know, clearly he's become a lot more informed and and healthier in, in recent years by the sound of it. Oh, yes. Um, as he says, there are many components to coping with his illness. And I just have the biggest respect for him for finding the right place to spin and juggling the life that works for him. Um it's a real lesson in living with bipolar and carving out a life that has just many elements that make you happy and try and ward off the dark clouds that are kind of always looking for a way in. Yeah, there are a few things that really stood out for me. So yeah. the first one was just how well the police seemed to to deal with, with Tim when they pulled him over. You yeah, know. it sounded like he was really kind, yeah, didn't they? really encouraging. And also I was very struck by how he got help as a result of, of that intervention. Yeah. Um, there's also the whole thing about how your employment can be key to your mental health. You know, there are those kind of wilderness years, if you want to call them that, where he was drawn to working in pubs, which, you know, presumably is one of the worst places to work for someone who likes solitude and, and has bipolar disorder. Yeah. But I think he said, I don't know whether it was actually in the podcast, but, um, you know, he loved working in pubs when he was manic, didn't he? Kind of got the place going and drinking etc but you know it's going to be a very different story when you're in the depressive stage of the illness yeah um and I think now a huge part of his mental health help is from having an understanding boss um you know to find somebody who'll let you have two months off a year mm. and understands when you call in sick and you know he's not having to say oh I've got diarrhea or whatever now like he can just be completely honest with him yeah it's really completely. good yeah, I think that employers are really starting to kind of take on board mental health. Um, and I guess for somebody that has a long-term mental health issue, a big part of their coping strategy is is finding an understanding employer. Definitely, yeah. I think that would, you know, really help anybody in that situation. Yeah, and, you know, thinking about Tim looking at his life over quite a long time and the way that he can see his highs and lows and what had helped him it kind of, for me, made me think about other programs that we've done. You know, there was episode yeah. three in season three, a different kinds of grief. Yeah, Tim had listened to a lot of the programs, actually. It was really nice. Um, and he'd been really moved by um, Catherine in that program because um, she had lost her sister to suicide, as he had done. And he'd also listened to Norman Lamb's program, of course, because he's done various bits of mental health awareness work with Norman. And... Um, of course, Norman lost his sister to suicide. Yeah, yeah. I wondered about uh, whether Tim's in a relationship or whether he has any children. 
Yeah, so um, he's got a daughter who's 10, um, okay. who doesn't live that close, I don't think, but he sees her um, fairly regularly. Um, and I think he said that her mum is really understanding because um, she's got a mother who's a mental health nurse. So they kind of okay, get Okay, so they kind of get Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he doesn't have, he's not in a relationship. Um and really definitely his support group is is his is his good group of friends okay yeah and clearly you know finding the right sport for you cycling is obviously just so right for him for so many reasons isn't it yeah it gives, gives him kind of you know that journey and it's a break away on his own you know he obviously has that need to be back with nature kind of a simple life but you know, also allows him to do these really impressive trips that he's fundraised for Mind and, you know, done a lot of awareness raising through as well. Yeah, it ticks so many boxes for him. And um, he just, you know, it seems to sort of light up with a smile every time he talks about it. And I think it's kind of like a, a kind of beacon in his year kind of thing. Like, you know, that's just sort of, I think perhaps probably when times are tough, he just knows he's got those two months where he's going to be off on the road and, living the life that he kind of wants to be living. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a great thing for him. Do you know, when I was growing up, every man in their 40s just bought a Jaguar and a set of golf clubs. And now they um, they all buy bikes and yeah. go around wearing, you know, the, the mammal thing is absolutely brilliant though, isn't it? It's just a really healthy way of responding to all of that stuff that can kick in at that stage in life yeah so, yeah it's really true and it's uh, yeah actually much healthier because you're getting some proper exercise yeah it's brilliant yeah. love it yeah so it's time for our podcast recommendation have you got one Susie? yeah so everyone is talking about happy place and that seemed like a good title for this program actually about tim who has kind of found his happy place on a bike. But yeah, Happy Place is a great podcast with Fern Cotton. And she's got a very impressive list of guests, including Tom Daly, Dawn French, Paloma Faith, and also Stephen Fry, who is president of the charity Mind that Tim does work with. So do have a listen. You know, just, I know, it just all ties it up, all ties up so beautifully, nicely. doesn't it? So Perfect. nicely. Just, honestly, you'd almost think that somebody had planned that. <sighs> Yeah, so have a listen to that and uh, let us know what you think. So another thing I wanted to talk about was Tim's use of humour because it, it kind of crops up a few times. You know, we must have all noticed how you started laughing at the end of the Lake Suicide story. And I'm guessing actually that he made it okay for you to laugh. Yeah, I hope he did. Um, I felt a bit uncomfortable listening back to that, if I'm honest. But he he was smiling at me and he started to make it sound funny. Um, what at the time was obviously just the most horrific time for him. And um, along with the story of the straitjacket and one flew over the cuckoo's nest, you can see how his sense of humour is. And yeah, I, I mean, I have to say, I love it. You know, people who can put you at their ease, who've had to overcome some awfulness and see the funny side. It's just, it's impressive, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and it's just, you know, it's the way some people work as well, isn't it? I think if the choice is between not talking about something or or kind of ribbing someone about something, then actually sometimes the latter is the good option because at least it gets it out there, doesn't yeah, it? It exactly. stops it being this great thing that isn't talked about at all. Yeah, he's, he sounds like he's sort of surrounded himself by, you know, quite a few men who, like, they definitely take that option. They, yeah. They, you know, they sort of rip the piss and... 
um and he takes it and works with it like that yes and yeah it's a great it's a great coping mechanism yeah it really is so can we track this next big bike ride that tim's doing this uh he's going down the west coast of america isn't he it sounds really amazing yes it does um i'm going to put up the facebook page details um and yeah, he always kind of posts bits by the looks of things or when he's doing a big ride. So um, okay. it'll be fun to kind of track him as he goes down the West Coast. And I'm also going to put up the video and training we did um, before about the first aid for m- uh, mental health, because um, I think that's really relevant to this this podcast as well. That was specifically looking at suicide prevention, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that was really worth doing. So this brings to an end this season, but we're going to have the shortest of breaks until the start of September, when we'll be back with more amazing stories. So please subscribe so the programmes automatically drop in, ready for you to listen as soon as we're back. And it shows support for us as well. It's entirely free. All we ask in return is that you recommend us, grab someone's phone and add us, rate us on Apple Podcasts and tell your mates about us. We are The Backstory Podcast on Facebook and Instagram at The Backstory Pod on Twitter. If anyone's searching for The Backstory on Apple Podcasts or Equivalent, it's The Backstory Podcast with Claire and Susie. Have a great summer and we'll see you soon. See you in September. Bye-bye.